The Coach's Roundtable is brought to you by Between the Lines. Between the Lines offers online training with current minor league affiliates from the comfort of your own home through online technology. With their coaching, watch your skills and money increase due to no longer needing to drive to get training. For more information, go to betweenthelines.pro. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Coaches Roundtable Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Crado, and today I've got a coach down south who's done a lot of things in the game of baseball, and he's going to give us insight, he's going to get perspective, and hopefully you guys learned something today. So enough for me, let's get to know Coach. Coach Molina, tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got to where you are now. Coach, I uh, first want to start off by thanking you for having me, and hopefully uh, this podcast will help serve and help some coaches that are out there. Uh, a little bit about myself. Um, I uh, started coaching around 2012. I would say between 2012 to 2020, I was a select and showcase coach um, in the baseball world uh, down here in Texas. Um, helped run a baseball organization in Montgomery, Texas, outside of uh, outside of Houston, uh, and did that for several years. I actually jumped into the high school ranks uh, around that 2020, uh, that COVID time. And became a teacher and coach, and so I guess the last three to four years I've been coaching in high school baseball um, across the state of Texas, uh, around the Waco, Houston, and San Antonio area, and uh, actually spent this past summer coaching uh, college summer ball for the Seguin River Monsters in the Texas Collegiate League uh, this past summer, and uh, be joining them again this uh, this upcoming summer. So, Coach, if you had had a lot of baseball experience. You've been a part of a lot of games. You've coached a lot of guys. If you were to come back and tell the story of the greatest performance by a ball player that you've ever seen firsthand on a ball field, what is the greatest performance that you've ever witnessed? Uh, I think the most, uh, the one that definitely pops up in mind is when I was a head baseball coach at Mahia High School uh, outside of Waco uh, just a couple, two or three years ago. It was opening day for us, and we're playing a playoff caliber team. And uh, just before opening day, we had a, a student pass away. Um, and uh, the ace pitcher on our staff, uh, Hunter Murphy, uh, decides I didn't know if we were going to have him for opening day, to be quite honest with you, uh, because the girlfriend passed away in a head on uh, car crash. Uh, it was real tragic for us, but uh, he ends up coming opening day. And uh, long story short, he ends up throwing a no hitter. Uh, I think he was the runner-up pitcher of the uh, of the week for the entire state at 4A here in Texas, and uh, threw a no hitter and just uh, I think he struck out more than 10 hitters and just uh, very faithful, iconic, uh, just just an unbelievable moment for him and just something I don't think I'll ever forget. That is a cool story. So, you know, you coach summer ball, and let's th- let's stay with just the youth side of it when you were coaching the youth. Um, what were your thoughts on summer baseball? Do you like it? Do you dislike it? Um, just all things summer baseball. What were some of the things you liked? What were some of the things you'd think you'd like to change about it? Take us there. Yeah, I think uh, depending if you coach, uh, what levels you coach, I always tell coaches, like, if you're coaching 5- to 13-year-old kids, man, you, number one, you've got to make sure it's fun for them. Don't ever lose that perspective because if you really want kids to evolve and want to get better at the sport and play it as they get older into high school and possibly beyond that, it's got to be fun for them. Um, I will say every summer team or summer organization runs things differently. Um, when you're talking about youth kids, I think there's got to be a level of importance with practice. 
Um, I think sometimes you see a lot of organizations that want to play tournaments or games as often as possible. And I think there's a time and place for making sure that you're competing, uh, you know, often, but at the same time, like there are certain things that those kids have got to learn um, in, in practice from just learning how to play catch, um, learning those fine motor skills, um, you know, learning, you know, different footworks and how to use their glove. Like those are certain things that I think uh, need a little bit more of a point of emphasis on in practice compared to just competing in games. But uh, uh, like I said, everyone handles summer ball differently. I think there's a lot of organizations that do a really good job of it. Um, and then I'm sure there's some horror stories that exist out there um, where, where things aren't so good. But uh, for any parents out there or coaches out there, I just think uh, make sure it's fun and make sure there is, uh, you know, there are some really well-structured practices involved and not just games. So you've also coached at a higher level during the summer, right? You did some college league stuff. Um, do you think that you modified or adapted to uh, the different levels of coaching? Like, how would you say that you modified your style coaching from, you know, youth kids, high school kids, whatever it was you were coaching into the, you know, young adults? Sure. I think uh, it's something I have that discussion with with coaches at times is you, you coach a little differently with uh, with the different levels that exist out there in baseball and uh, some of those conversations that you have with a with a young kid are completely different than one that's uh, going into high school or one that's in college. And so, um, you know, I think something I'd want to mention is, hey, um, sometimes be really intentional. Make sure you're reflecting as a coach. If you're if you're coaching a really really young kid or someone that doesn't quite understand something, uh, be mindful to potentially consider you know slowing how slowing down your talk use some different words or some different cues where they can visualize what you're trying to get them to do. Um, fortunately, I think when you get to the college ranks, which, which has been really fun for me lately is those guys are a lot more polished. Um, you're not teaching, you know, some of the basics you're giving them reminders and making sure their highs don't get too high and lows get to, uh, get too low. But those guys are more polished. They, they got an idea um, the guys that we have with our summer team are, are very skilled. And so, uh, our conversations are sometimes more man to man opposed to me talking, making sure I'm using, you know, elementary school verbiage where kids can visually understand it. But, uh, it's a really unique, uh, perspective being able to coach those college kids compared to, you know, when I first started coaching, I was coaching some younger kids. So, you know, one of the things that you particularly coach is infield. What are some of your guys' favorite things to do at practice with infield? Yeah, I think, uh, and I don't know if there's a right or wrong way of doing it. I, I think when it comes to infield play, uh, the number, you know, some of the things I want to make sure our guys are is loose uh, with their body. But uh, some of the daily stuff that we'll work on is making sure we're working with their, uh, they're always going to work their hands. We're going to work some hip mobility and we're going to focus on their feet. Um, and something I always talk with my staff about is making sure we're balancing, um, you know, more fundamentals, but also making sure we're getting some uh, game speed type reps. And so uh, when it comes to infielders, um, like let's specifically talk hands. I'm not much of a funnel guy, and I credit a lot of that to a coach I coached with uh, or coached for this past year. His name's Mike Faraday. He's a really good infield coach uh, in the Woodlands area here in Texas. And uh he's really persuaded me more into being more of a push guy, uh, pushing with the glove opposed to funneling. And so, um, you know, I guess one drill specifically I like working on uh, with kids early on in the season is just, uh, you know, warming up would be 
hey, infield's going to be in. I can use a machine or use a fungo, and you're going to have your hand behind your back. It's going to be no throws. You're literally just going to work on pushing through the base. Uh, for me, I, I coached with Mike Faraday in the Woodlands. I uh, coached for him last year and uh, really liked some of the drills that we did and that he showed me. And uh, Big push through the baseball type coach, to be honest. I'm not a big funnel guy. Uh, I think when you're talking about infielders, you want to try and get, get to that baseball without it having the opportunity to take a bad hop. Uh, and so, you know, one drill I like using when it comes to pushing through the baseball, you can have guys on their knees and warm-ups and just uh, throw quick picks at them or throw different balls, whether it's uh, a short hop or a long hop, and they're just literally pushing through the ball, getting that glove out in front. Um, or you can even start with, uh, you know, infield in whenever you have the whole infield and just, you know, hit some hot shots at them or use a machine and just have their, you know, throwing hand behind their back and they're just focusing and they're honing in on that uh, that glove hand and just pushing through the ball. Um, I think for me, and I could talk infield for hours, man, and a lot of this stuff's not even just mine. So, um, you know, I, I get a lot of my drills and a lot of my stuff from coaches I've coached with, um, coaches at the next level. And, uh, um, you know, just through the years, you, you think you have some drills and then you find out there's a better way of doing it, which is great. Um, you know, I love making sure whenever I talk infield, I always tell people like, hey, make sure there's a point of emphasis on uh, on hands, on hips, and on feet. Um, usually before practice even starts, we like doing a hip mobility uh, regiment where, you know, guys can go through speed ladders, guys can go through some mini hurdle stuff, um, guys can go through some band work, working on flexibility. Um, but I think if you're going to coach the complete infielder, they got to be really, really loose. Um, they've got to have great hips. If you don't have great hips, man, it's going to be hard for you to be able to field the different ground balls that come into play on the infield. But uh, we want to build the complete infielder. Those are some of the things that we'll hit on. Uh, we want to make sure those guys can move left, right, forward, and back um, and, and are, are as versatile as they can be. Do you have any favorite competitions you guys like to do? Um, for me personally, I know that athletes – um, they love to compete, and they get more. They make the the adjustments they need to to win when they compete. And sometimes we create games that force them to learn what we want them to learn, because it's going to help them win the game. And then you can bring it back around, you know, all the way around, you know, circle, because you're like, hey, did you feel that? Yeah, I noticed that. Well, that's what I want you to do, because that's going to help. Like that's going to help you for X Y Z reasons. Is there any favorite competitions you guys like to do? Uh, for me, I took a drill from Tyler Junior College from several years ago um, where I can change the level, the depth level of the base runners. So I, let's say I'm hitting Fungo to an entire infield, and um, I want them to have that mental work a little bit of uh, getting the ball out quick or having a little bit of a mental clock to work with. I can have my base runners have a little bit of a head start, um, and when I hit the ball, they'll obviously take off to first base or an off bag right at first base. And uh, But I can change the depth levels of that runner, so hey, if he gets a little head start, the infielders automatically know I've got to attack the baseball. I've got to field it cleanly. I don't have time to double clutch. Um, for me, you can either you can do that with a timer where, hey, I can, hey, for the next two to five minutes, I'm going to hit as many balls as I can, and we're going to see how many times you get it, you get the guy out and how many times you field it cleanly. We'll keep tally. Um, you know, you can have a competition between that. Uh, or you can even go as far as, hey, I'm just going to hit 10 balls. We're going to see how many uh, out of these 10, how many times you can, you know, consistently get the out at first. Um, and for me, I won't use it with base runners at any other base. It's just from home plate. 
I always tell people like the most important out for me in a game or in an inning is the first out. And so I put a really big level of emphasis on that competition on making sure that leadoff runner does not get on base. Um, there's so many different competitions that exist. Um, another good one that the kids really enjoy for me is uh, we use like the left side of the infield, for instance, and I'll have like five to seven kids, for instance, uh, five to seven kids on one team and five to seven kids on another. And one group will line up like shoulder to shoulder um, between like the left field, uh, you know, grass cut to the infield to the infield grass cut. Um, and then like on the third base side. And then we'll also have one on the second base, like where second base is at from the outfield to the infield grass, if that makes sense. And all we'll have one ball. And those guys are literally just chunking the ball into the ground, like a hard ground ball. And you're taking turns, whoever it goes to, they got to field it cleanly. And if you don't field it cleanly, then you're out type thing. It's more of almost like a backyard baseball type of uh, type of feel, like a wall ball type feel uh, when they do it. But the kids really enjoy it. And they're always trying to give the guy on the other side, whether it's the third base side or the second base side, trying to give him a really difficult ball to, to, to field. So philosophy question here. When you're at practice, do you think you hit more live ground balls to them? Or do you think that you spend more time doing, you know, drill work, um, teaching, or whatever it be? Or, you know, what percent of the time do you think you're hitting live ground balls? Really good question. I think it depends on the time of year, and it depends on the needs uh, on where you're at in the season. And so I think early on, when like let's say, for instance, in January, we will spend more – for me, I like spending more time on fundamentals and then progressing to more live reps. I think as you get in the season, I try and balance out the two. Um, you know, you'll see things in practice or you'll see things in games where it's like, hey, we're really good here, but not so good here. And so that can absolutely change. And so I try and balance out the fundamentals, get making sure we're not overlooking them, but also making sure we get those uh, those game speed reps. And so that's a harder question for me to answer because it can definitely vary from from month to month or week to week, depending on the team I have that season and, uh, you know, how things are going. Would you say you altered it a lot with the youth verse, you know, in the summer, youth or high school or what, what, what age do you think you're hitting the most ground balls? And what age do you think you're hitting the least amount of ground balls? Yeah, I think I hit more ground balls um, and spent a little less time on fundamentals with my older guys, uh, our college guys for sure, and uh, and the high school players. I think when it comes to the younger kids, we'll spend more time on fundamentals and I won't use the fungo as much um with them um you know one thing i haven't mentioned yet is you know for coaches out there that don't have all the resources or maybe extra hands on deck is early on in my career i tried to figure out ways to make sure time is uh being used efficiently as a coach and there was times i'd coach a practice and it's me and you know 15 kids and i would use a rebound nets uh that you can get at a sporting goods store for about 20 to 40 bucks and you know, we even use those sometimes to just make it a little bit of fun and use those in our indie drills for, to work fundamentals. And, um, you know, I don't know if you offset that with a, with a fungo necessarily, but th those are really fun that kids enjoyed to use. But uh, back to your question, yeah, I would say I definitely hit more with my older guys and spend a little more time fundamentals with uh, with our younger, uh, with the younger kids that I worked with. If you were to say there's one aspect of infield play that you wish you worked on more and something you think you work on too much, I know that's a tough question, but I'd like to ask coaches, if you were to do a pie chart um, and you were to actually see the percent of how much you work on stuff, what is something you think you probably don't work on enough and what's something you probably spend too much time on? 
Um, I would say it's, that's a really good question. Something I don't think I work enough of and uh, I always try and reflect and have that self-awareness. Um, I don't think we work enough with feet. Uh, the feet really get you in a position to make every play on the infield and you're not going to have, like sometimes we get carried away as coaches where we hit ground balls uh, and we're always hitting the same ground ball. And so kid, kids that like, you've got to, I, I, I love working feet with infielders just because you're going to field some balls right at you. You're going to field balls that you're going to have to backhand. Some are going to be in the hole. Some of those balls that are in the hole, let's say you're a shortstop and there's a ball hit up the middle. There's going to be some of those plays where you can field it and not have to make a spin move and throw. And then there's some where it's going to be almost out of your reach where you can barely get it. You're going to have to spin, keep your eyes and head very still, like as you know, still as possible, and then make a clean throw to first. Uh, but I, I, I don't think we really work feet enough um, as infielders, I think, in our profession. Just to me, if I had to pinpoint one thing, and I think uh, I think it's re- really the – the key indicator to being more consistent, you know, to being in a position to make a play, um, you know, it almost, uh, it's almost an oxymoron because we just talked about hitting the fungo and stuff, but I think sometimes what we do too much of uh, could be fungo. It really just depends on how you structure practice, but um, I think it is important for guys to make sure that they, they get fungo work, but if it's the only thing that you're doing, you're missing on like the little details that it takes for guys to be able to consistently make plays. Um, you know, we talk about, you know, we, for me, I always love talking about dominating routine plays. Like if we're going to dominate routine plays, yes, you got to make sure you get some balls off the fungo, off the bat, off a machine. But like, I've got to make sure your hips and your feet are in a good position uh, for you to make that play consistently. Because when it comes to college baseball, man, ground balls need to be out, you know, nine out of 10 or really 10 out of 10 times. Uh, for for youth kids, that needs to be a play where I want to get at least seven out of ten, eight out of ten, um, you know, from them. And so it's a little different. You know, like I said, the college guys are a little bit more polished, but uh, um, you know, that's just how that's just how I feel on that topic. So you talked about feet, maybe not working on it enough. So I'm assuming you're probably not the only coach listening that maybe goes, yeah, probably me too. So take us to your practices. What are some different ways you guys work on the feet? Um, in particular, maybe it's drill work, maybe it's cues you use, maybe it's the way you break it down. How do you work on the footwork with your guys at practice? Sure. Uh, I think for us, it starts, uh, you know, when I was at College Park High School, I loved that we did it for about 10 to 15 minutes before practice even really got going on the field. Um, we would spend time with uh, with speed ladders, with mini hurdles. Um, yeah, it's not, you can, you need, there's so many different drills you can do with speed ladders and mini hurdles. And is it necessarily like the ground ball footwork? Uh, maybe not all the time, but making sure like when you're dealing with kids specifically, any, when I say a kid, you're talking about anyone under 18 years old, like there's always room for improvement on feet. Um, and we spend a lot of time with speed ladders and mini hurdles because, Guys are always trying to polish their fine motor skills, and we want to make sure kids aren't tripping over their own feet on the different plays that they may have to make. Um, so even before practice even starts per se, we'll use mini hurdles and uh, speed ladders. Um, you know, I guess to throw in an extra drill that I would work, I took a drill from USA Softball several years ago. It's actually on uh, YouTube, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, I call it bucket drills. And I'll have one group at first base and one group at shortstop. And I'll literally just roll them the different ground balls that they can see. 
we start off at the beginning of the year just working the ground ball right to them. It'll progress to a ground ball to their left, a ground ball to their right, and then slow rollers. Um, but I'll roll them the different types of ground balls, and we'll really make sure we hone in on, you know, right, left, you know, glove down, making sure we're in sync, we're in rhythm, uh, making sure our glove, I call it landing gear. Um, you got to make sure, hey, if you were flying a plane with that glove, if you're on a plane and your landing gear comes down too late, that you're not going to have a smooth landing. You're probably going to crash the plane. It's going to have the, it's kind of has the same perspective. Like that glove's got to be a wall. It can't be a ramp. You got to make sure you get it down on time. It's not too early. It's not too late. But, uh, yeah, you know, we'll work the, the bucket drill where they'll field those different ground balls. And when they're making the field, they'll actually throw the ball. And when they throw the ball, they got to go be a first baseman later. And then the first baseman catches it. The first baseman gets in line at shortstop for his rep. But I like doing something like that because we're honing in on the feet. Uh, we're making sure it's a priority for us. And then also, lastly, like if the kid's going to field and throw the ball from short and go to first, he might as well make that throw with momentum going towards his target. Uh, when you play infield, the majority of your plays are almost always somewhat to your left, whether that's to first base or to second. And so um, that's a really good drill for us, especially early on in the year uh, when we want to hone in on the, the footwork and the glove work uh, of the different ground balls guys are going to get and making sure they got good momentum going towards a bag. So do you alter catch play, whether it be how you guys warm up, your particular catching progressions, um, or maybe it's something you do right after you guys get loose that you guys do? Um, I'm curious, do you guys do anything particular with your infielders, maybe help with different arm slots, footwork, whatever it may be? Yeah, I'm a big routine guy. Um, I'll do different drill series in practice, and I'm cool with that because that's, that's a little level of difference where – it won't get too monotonous for kids and they'll, they'll check out mentally. But when it comes to actual warming up and, and getting ready for practice, I'm, I'm a big routine guy. Um, you know, something that we did last year at the last school I was at that I liked is when we do quick catch, a lot of people out there do quick catch and they throw from the same arm slot at about one o'clock. If you think of it from a, from a clock perspective, um, when we do, um, you know, quick catch, we'll do quick catch where you'll catch it you know, 10 fingers to the sky, elbows are nice and tight, like, you know, not too far from the body. But when you catch it, you're throwing from a one o'clock. And then the next time you catch it, you'll throw it from two o'clock. You'll catch the next one. You'll throw it from three, next one, four. And then you can go from five. And then you work your way back up the clock from four to three to two to one, uh, so on and so forth. And so uh, guys, for me that play infield, we've talked eyes, we've talked hips, we've talked uh, feet and hands, but uh, you've got to be able to throw from different uh different arm angles, and I think if we work that in quick catch, it's going to be more natural when the game comes up. Is there anything you guys do at practice to get the most game-like, you know, take out the actual scrimmages, the inner squads, um, the live, you know, live BP or whatever? What are some ways that you guys have drill work where you force your guys to fail a lot or, or you give them those game-like type reps? Um, what are some of the things that you like to do to really push your guys to make it as game-like as possible, or to even even in a different way, make them fail a lot? Like, what are some of the things that your guys, you do, and it's really hard for you guys to do, but you guys like to do it because it's teaching them something? Yeah, I think the first one is, man, the higher levels that you go in baseball, the more physical and fast the play is. Um, I think right off the bat, there was times when I was head baseball coach at Mejia, um, we'd, re we'd use rebound nets, we'd use fungos, like a lot of people, but we'd bust out the machine coach. And sometimes I'd have that thing really coming out hot. 
and the guys knew that and it wasn't like at a dangerous level by any means but uh i think being able to get your your infielders uh, specifically opportunities to field balls that are coming off you know off a machine really fast um like they won't it won't phase them when you play a more physical team potentially in the season and so um sometimes that gets really competitive guys love seeing it like uh um, like I said, you just, you just vamp up the machine, get the velo going and, uh, guys, guys compete to see, uh, you can make it like a game of knockout type thing where, Hey, if you don't feel it, you're out next, you know, and we'll see you last man standing on the infield is. And so, um, you know, you work all these different things from fundamentals to game speed reps, to competing, to, uh, making sure guys get, uh, guys make sure they see some balls that come off the bat hot. I really like that. I was up at the Mizzou coaches clinic yesterday and I saw that they do their everyday picks off a machine. Um, and I guess it's kind of that same feel of like, there's one thing to give them a one hop, but there's another thing when there's a little juice and smoke behind the ball and you really got to catch it in the right spot. Not just because, you know, you'll break your hand possibly if you don't, but like just the firmness of it, right? It's kind of like, you know, catchers catching off the machine versus catchers catching, you know, the coach throwing from 25 feet away on a knee. Um, but you know, we've had a really good conversation. You've brought a really good lot of inside stuff or infield stuff. Um, and so I'm going to kind of get away from it a little bit. And I'm going to ask you a different kind of baseball question. If you had the opportunity to present at the ABCA convention, what do you think you'd want to present on? And then could you give us a little snippet of what that might sound like? Yeah, I mean, uh, man, that'd be something I could. I love talking infield, love talking base running, culture type stuff. I think a different one would be for me thinking about it right now would be uh, I'd love to talk about um, helping the, the first time head coach. Um, so like the, the assistant that is transitioning into his first year as being a head coach, um, there's a massive learning curve in that first year when you become a head coach at whatever level it is. Um, and I, I jokingly tell people, but it's really, I mean, it's really a humbling thing. I'm still trying to learn how to be more of an assistant coach. Uh, from 2012 2020 I was a I was a head coach director of a baseball organization um, you know I I think I've spent more time being a head coach in whatever level of baseball um, way more than I have been as an assistant and so uh, being able to see the perspective from both from both positions has been very uh, humbling but also a really good thing for me and my uh, uh, my development as a as just a complete coach and so if ABCA was going to ask me to come present something I'd love to talk to the guy that's about to jump into being a head coach or what it takes to be a head baseball coach um, you know I think both of us coach in the high school ranks right now and uh, one of those things where some of the assistants out there don't know what they're getting into and it's not just about it's not just about coaching games and filling out a lineup card there's a lot more things that go into it from building that culture or um, taking care of your field, doing the laundry, structuring practice, having self-awareness and reflecting on the things that are going well and things aren't going well, uh, having parent conversations, trying to make sure guys' highs don't get too high, lows get too low, making sure you've scheduled umpires, making sure you know you understand how to use your budget wisely, um, whether you're there the next year or not. Uh, are you mentoring and taking care of your coaching staff because ultimately they're they're coaching our players too and they're important and so there's a lot of administrative stuff that I think can get talked about um, for those coaches that have not been a head coach before that I think we can definitely help uh, help develop them. So you've you've coached at a couple of different places. What are some of the unique unique ways that you guys go about building culture with your guys? 
Uh, sometimes it's not even on a baseball field, uh, to be honest with you, Coach. Uh, sometimes it's uh, doing some team bonding stuff. Sometimes it's spending time in the classroom and just getting to know each other a little bit more. Um, you know, I I think every every head baseball coach has to have a boundary of where um, you're getting the respect and you're getting the um, you know the things that you need done from kids showing up earlier on time, uh, doing their workouts, getting their grades taken care of, being good you know members in society when it comes to community service and different things like that. But uh, I think sometimes showing that vulnerable side of of you uh, can be can be really big. Um, kids know that you're there for them. You build in that relationship. Uh, I like kids knowing that I care about them beyond just results of baseball. Uh, for me, I've just always felt that I will get more out of kids when they know I'm here for them. And, um, you know, it's maybe easier said than done, but I always tell kids like, dude, I'm, I'm the same coach, you know, personality wise, whether we've won 10 or the last 10 games, you know, in a row. Um, the only thing that would change for me is making sure I reflect on, how we're practicing and what, what are some ways for us to get better. But uh, yeah, some of the culture things for me don't even take place just on a baseball field. It's uh, it's those, it's those players and those kids knowing that, Hey, um, I'm here for your growth and I hope you're playing this game for your growth as well. Uh, it's not about me. It's about you guys. All right, coach, I'm going to wrap up the podcast with this one question right here. And I hope you're ready. Put on your thinking cap, do some critical thinking, um, and it's one I've been trying to end all the podcasts with because I think it's a fun, quirky little question. If you had every NFL quarterback in a room and you handed them a baseball and had them perform a pull down with this baseball, do you think every NFL quarterback would be capable of being able to touch 90 miles an hour on a pull down? Uh, I actually do. Um, if they're in the NFL, um, they obviously – they're. <laughs> They're very, very good at what they do, but obviously throwing a football, uh, most of those guys can throw, uh, I mean, as far as anybody in the world. Uh, and so I think I like to think if they can throw a football with being, uh, you know, far distance, I would imagine the baseball, um, I would imagine the baseball is going to come out of their hand going at least 90 miles an hour. So a um, little bit different mechanics, a little bit different feel for uh, obviously a different ball, but uh, I think they got enough going for them with that arm and uh, the physique that most of those NFL quarterbacks have today. I, I definitely think they could throw at least 90 miles an hour. Uh, 